This is Logan. I know him uh, from filming and making videos. Yeah. And this is Riley. And uh, I think I first met you uh, back when you were in middle school. And I just always remembered you were that kid that always had a camera. <laughs> he was vlogging literally everything. Come to find out he's a YouTube superstar. <laughs> I am Gen Z. And I am a millennial. What's a spiritual practice that I have that you would like to develop more? Uh, probably like making music the same way as you. Like Christian hip-hop music, Christian rap music, and like learning how to preach more. So you want to be able to make some, some songs that glorify God and stuff like that? Yeah. I like that. I can dig that. How have you made time in your life to invest in me and my generation? Um, so I would say, you know, just serving in youth ministry and really just being active and being present in, uh, in the young generation's life, specifically even in your life and, and just seeing, hey, this is a guy that needs someone that can he can talk to that can pour into him and not just in who he is as a person and how God loves him, but also in his creative passions. What's something we do together that you think other people in my generation could benefit from? Probably like making videos and then like they can see how making videos can like bring people together and uh, sharing the same activity mm -hmm. together. Uh, it can have a big relationship between the two and just being friends. Okay. Uh, uh, what you got for me? Why do you think it's important to make time? I think that you are somebody who is also worth that time. You know what I mean? In your generation, you guys are worth the time to invest in, um, to speak into, to raise up, and to encourage. And if God thinks that you're worth it, then I see that you're worth it. And if God has led me to it, then I want to be faithful to it. Um, and, you know, that's why I, I want to show you that, hey, you're worth it. And ultimately, in showing you that, you see God's character in that, and you realize that God, to him, you're worth it. And uh, that's why I think it's important to make time for for the things that God is leading you to um, in order to, you know, be faithful to what he's calling you to. Did you get all that? Yeah. Right on. Oh, man. I love uh, seeing Logan and Riley's relationship. And uh, the thing that I love with that relationship is Logan's a filmmaker and Riley loves doing that. And so you see, Logan's just brought him in on what he is doing. Um, and so what uh, has really stood out to Riley is Logan's there and Logan invites me into things. I showed up at a Fort Evansville event uh, a couple months ago and I look up and I see Riley like running a camera. I'm like, what is he doing here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. But he was there uh, because Logan had invited him to come along and be a part of it. And that is such a powerful uh, tool for discipling the next generation, just inviting people in. So I love seeing that story. Uh, and today we actually have a group of uh, 22 or 23 students. Someone clarified that number for me this morning and I've already forgotten that are headed on a, a 23. Thank you, Kristen. 23 students that are headed on a mission trip uh, today to Louisville and uh, they will be there through Wednesday. They're going to be working with one of our partners there called Hope Place. They're going to be learning a little bit more about God's heart, uh, making some friends and, and uh, hopefully discovering things that will impact their life as they come back. So as we get going today, first First, I want to encourage you to be praying for them these next couple days, and I'd love for us just to take a minute here to pray for them as well. So let's pray together. 
Um, Father, we thank you so much for uh, these students and leaders who are choosing to invest these next uh, three days in um, expanding your kingdom and learning more about your heart. And God, right now, I pray that you would be at work uh, preparing their hearts and their minds to see more of you, to know more of you, and to reflect more of you as they return. God, would you bless them as they travel? Would you bless their conversations? Would you uh, yeah, allow Jesus to become bigger in each and every person's heart? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, as we get going today and jump into week three of this series, Gen We, I want to get a feel for who we have in the room. Don't worry, I'm not making everyone stand up and sit down again. Um, someone already told me not to do that today. Oh, Dan, that is rough. Don't think I'm not going to call you out for that. That's Dan Carter, everybody. So um, just know that public shame is great. No, just kidding. Um, So as we get going today, though, I want to know how people in this room keep their lives organized, okay? So if you are somebody who has a, like, print planner or calendar, would you raise your hand, please? Okay, very good, hand down. If you are someone who keeps life organized on the calendar on your phone, raise your hand. Okay, very good. If you are a sticky note person, and by that I mean you've got sticky notes everywhere, would you raise your hand? Okay, got several of those as well. And if you are someone who has a reminder or an alarm set on your phone for literally everything that you do throughout the day, would you raise your hand, please? Okay, anybody in here do a mix of all of those? Okay, very good. Anybody in here one of those people that keeps track of everything in your head? Like you don't write anything now, okay? You are either a superhero with a superpower or the most frustrating human being in other people's lives because you forget 50% of what you say you're going to do. And I saw a few wives nodding their heads there. So Brian, sorry, but um, that's, uh, that's just the reality for where we are today. Um, But as we look at this, I think the thing that we all see is that at least theoretically, we all have some sort of way to keep track of things in our life, right? We we have ways to, to manage the things that we prioritize, to try to make sure that those things are in order. And at least theoretically, those things help us as we navigate each week. And the thing with these, like prioritizing with calendars and these things, that normally what goes on there are the things that are most important, right? Maybe it's a standing meeting that you have every week, it gets put on there. Maybe it's a practice that you can't miss. It's a game that you can't miss. It is the most dramatic finale of all time in the history of The Bachelor that you make sure is on your calendar. All of these things get put on there if they are a priority for you. Maybe it's the NCAA tournament, whatever it is, if it's a priority for you, it gets put onto this calendar and you make sure that nothing else sort of takes its place. But if you're anything like me, there's probably times where you find yourself just kind of distracted or running all over the place because things have come in and maybe hijacked your calendar. Maybe it's people that have come and hijacked it. Maybe it is like you got onto social media to check one thing and then three hours later, you're looking at your third grade best friend's profile and you're like, well, how did I get here? I don't really know. Or whatever it is, you can find yourself just running down these things and sooner than later, you find yourself with the time that you had budgeted for something else just sort of goes away. There are many things that we maybe find ourselves distracted, but the reality that we all need to wrestle with is that ultimately we put um, what is most important into a calendar, but in the end, a lot of times our time doesn't reflect that. 
Throughout this series, we've been talking about making a priority of passing on faith to the next generation. And a word that's often used to describe this idea of passing on faith or the process is is discipleship. When we disciple someone, we're teaching them how to do something. And in passing on our faith, we teach them how to follow Jesus. And today we want to think specifically about how we can be intentional with our time for this purpose, for passing on faith. And here's why this is important, because when we're not intentional to do this, when we're not intentional with our time for discipleship, we end up teaching ourselves and even training others in our lives that something other than following Jesus is most important. We don't like to think about it that way, but whenever we prioritize any number of other things above passing on faith to others around us, they begin to think that watching the NCAA tournament is much more important than this other thing or any number of other things that take priority over that will be seen as more important. We begin to disciple others to think that other things are more important. Now, disciple in its most basic sense means learner. But whenever we think about learning as a disciple, we're not just thinking about intellectual learning, but we're learning how to live a certain kind of life, how to have a certain way of life. So we're not intentional about the right thing. Those around us begin to observe other things as priority, and they begin to believe that those other things should take the priority. And what we spend our time doing speaks much louder to those in our lives than maybe what we say with our mouths. Our time will speak much louder than anything, or our time will speak much louder than our mouths. As we think about this, we need to remember that in the beginning, God was the author of time. God created time, and before we see the fall come into being, we see that God has already established a rhythm for us to live in. We were created to live in a seven-day cycle that was made up of productivity, made up of rest, that was made up of developing relationships and these other things, but this was already put into place. This limit of time that we face was part of creation. And the really neat thing, if you look in Genesis chapter 2, is that we see that God, who is limitless— chose to model for us what it looks like to to have those sort of limits in our life. So look right now, Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, where we read this. It says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, uh, he rested from all the work uh, of creating that he had done. So here we see God even operating within this 180-day limit, not because he had to, but because he was modeling for people what this looks like. God gave each and every one of us 10,080 minutes a week, and that is a limit that is placed on us. It's not the result of sin, and it's not an excuse not to do what's most important. I think a question each of us must ask is, am I spending my time on what's most important? Am I spending my time on what I say is most important, or do I just find my time spent on other things going on around me? Again, like we just said, what you spend your time doing will speak louder to the world around you about what's important than what you say. What you do matters. Now, Stephen Covey is well known for putting together this uh, time management matrix that looks something like this. You know, up in the top left corner, you have the things that are important there in quadrant one, important and urgent. Quadrant two, important, not urgent. 
not important but urgent is quadrant three. And then quadrant four is not important and not urgent. And, and what would Stephen Covey say should be the, uh, the quadrant that you spend most of your time on? Quadrant two, okay? Because a lot of times the things that are in quadrant one are there because you procrastinate on things in quadrant two, right? A lot of times those things that are important but not urgent become urgent because you put them off too long. Now, the issue that um, we often face is that sometimes we find ourselves just doing those things that are really urgent in our lives, and we end up finding ourselves almost beat up by always running after that thing. So what we end up doing is we retreat into quadrant number four. We find ourselves doing these things that aren't important or urgent just to kind of like numb our brain to sort of move forward with life. But, but this sort of framework helps us see how we, we prioritize things that are most important. Sometimes we even maybe do things that are in quadrant three and four just to get things checked off our list because we can't seem to accomplish anything that, that seems really important. The thing I just want us to see here with this is that priority matters. Where you spend your time will shape you, it will form you, and it will form what other people see as important. Now, our goal today is not for everyone in this room to leave today and be Stephen Covey poster child, okay? Like, that, that's not the goal here. Uh, that's not what I hope to see. What I hope to see here is that we will be a people that as we leave here today, we'll have maybe our goals and our priorities better reflect the heart and priority of God, what God would have for us. Maybe even reflect the heart and priority of Jesus, I love to see how Jesus prioritized his time. It's easy to think that Jesus had it easy because Jesus lived in a time before phones, let alone like having email on a phone, right? So Jesus lived before that. But if you look at Jesus's life throughout the gospels, the thing that you will see throughout the gospels is that Jesus had to like say no to people that Jesus had people that were trying to like hijack what was his mission, what his mission was. They were trying to hijack that and have him do other things. If you look at Jesus, you see that he had all kinds of voices yelling at him about how he should spend his time. And Jesus functioned in that same 10,000, 80 minute a week limit. And yet we see something about the way that Jesus spent his time that I think is really attractive. As we get going today, I just want us to take a minute to look at Mark chapter one. If there were one of the four gospels that was like an action movie gospel, it would be the gospel of Mark. Like if you were gonna pack Jesus's life into an hour and 25 minute with lots of explosions and stuff, look at Mark, okay? If you read through the first 34 verses of Mark and you look through that in the ESV, you will see the word immediately pop up seven times. It's like every single moment, immediately this, immediately that, immediately, 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 this happens throughout the book of Mark. As the Mark opens up, it quickly introduces us to Jesus, who is the beloved son of God. We see that at his baptism. Then we see him go out into the wilderness and he, he battles temptation there. And then he comes back and he starts his ministry. As Jesus starts his ministry and he's going about, you start to see Jesus healing people all over the place. In fact, there was this one day that, that leads up to verse 34 where he heals all kinds of people and the villages around are going crazy. I mean, if Jesus were in sales and he was doing his mission, it would look right now like he just signed like a multi-million dollar sales deal right here, okay? Jesus is at the top of his game, if that is even a fair comparison. I don't know, but we're gonna go with it. So Jesus is in this moment. Everything is going awesome in his ministry. And then we read this about what Jesus does the next day. 
Mark chapter one, verses 35 through 38. It says this. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Now here we see two things with Jesus, I think, right off the bat. And these are things, if you keep reading the Gospel of Mark or any of the Gospels, you will see pop up again and again throughout these books. That Jesus had, first and foremost, a priority of time. Jesus just had this incredible moment. He had people that were coming to him to have him heal him. They were very good things these people wanted Jesus to do, but Jesus was firm in his identity and the time he needed with his father in heaven. So Jesus had this priority of time where he blocked off this time, even if it meant getting up when it was still dark to spend time with his father in heaven. Jesus knew that he needed this time. And I think if that's true for Jesus, if Jesus needs his time with his father in heaven, I think it's probably true for you and I as well. See, if you and I are going to stand firm and actually press forward in whatever we're doing in day-to-day life and do that without being really fragile, we need to be really firm in where our identity and where our status is. So Jesus had this priority of time that that is modeled for us of, of spending time with his father in heaven. The second thing we see with Jesus is this priority of purpose. Jesus was getting all kinds of acclaim because of his healing, but but that wasn't the reason he came. See, Jesus came to announce the kingdom, to usher in the kingdom, and these healings that he did, they were a taste of the kingdom. It gave people around him a taste of what he came to do, but that wasn't the purpose. So when people came to him and kept asking him for more of this, Jesus was able to say no because the work he was sent to accomplish was ushering in the kingdom of God by defeating sin and death once and for all. So Jesus had this priority of purpose that allowed him to say no to those around him. I believe this priority of purpose transforms the purpose for you and I as we live each and every day. We're all invited to do the work that God has placed us here to accomplish by living as citizens of God's kingdom. And this means that for you and, our, uh, you and I, our primary status and identity isn't in our sales number. It's not in customer satisfaction numbers. It's not in being teacher of the year. It's not in raising perfect kids. None of these things determine our identity and status. No, our identity and status begins with who God is and what God has done for us. Whenever we begin to operate from that point, it means that we can run after being the best teacher we can be, not because we need to earn some sort of status, but because of who God is and what he's done, because we want to reflect him. Our status is not determined based upon our students' test scores, but instead it's determined upon how we are doing our work, both with and for God. This changes the way that we prioritize our time and our purpose as we begin to run after Jesus and his design for our lives. Another thing we see with Jesus, with this priority of time and purpose, is that Jesus prioritized time with his disciples over and above time with the crowds. You see Jesus several times say no to people and not where there were people that didn't have access to go and be with him. And this is, if this is true for Jesus, God in flesh, I think it probably needs to be true for you and I as well. 
There've got to be people in our life that have a greater level of access if we were actually going to pour into them and see them learn the way of Jesus from us. We have to invest in people that, that are open to that. We have to know who those people are. So a question I would just ask for you is, do you know who in your life you're actually trying to pour into? Do you have a way to pour into them or is it just sort of like, ah, I hope it happens, but if it doesn't, it's no big deal. Are you making that a priority? Are you making it a priority to pour into those around you in your life? Now, these principles apply to you, whether you are married or single, young, old, rich, poor, wherever you are, this priority in the 10,080 minutes we get a week matters. And throughout this series, we've been starting out there in Deuteronomy chapter six. And I think this is important because Jesus didn't just like come up with this idea whenever he came on the scene, but this was God's design for his people from the beginning. So let's take one more time and jump back there to Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine, and think again about what this might look, for, look like for us as we walk throughout our day. What does it look like to run after God and his design for us? Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. Again, Moses is talking to the people of God. He's just gotten done reminding them about all that God has done for them, bringing them out of Egypt, but then also in sustaining them through the wilderness. And then we find these words starting in verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The people of Israel were called to be a people that loved the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. We've talked about this each week. I think this is the idea of loving God with all that we are. And the only person to ever do this perfectly was Jesus, right? But this is something that we are all invited into. We are all invited to do this, to respond to who God is and what he's done by submitting our entire life to him and saying, okay, God, whatever you ask, I am in. Now, if we look again there at verse seven, it says to impress these commands on your children. It says to talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And we talked last week about how this is just saying like, this matters in all of life. But to show just how practical this is, how much this just impacts our day-to-day -day decisions, I wanna look at those four pictures there. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So let's start here just thinking about when you sit at home. Who are you when you're at home? How would your family, your friends, how would other people in your life talk about you when you're at home? Are you someone who, when you're at home, are quick to like tell someone else, hey, get off that device. Whenever you're on that device, it, it really causes you to be short with people. It really changes your attitude. And then like 30 minutes later, you're watching something on TV and then someone interrupts you and you're like, can't you see I'm doing something here? Like, what's going on here? Anybody ever find yourself doing that? Just, just me? Okay, great. So uh, I, I'm not very interruptible whenever I'm doing things. I get very frustrated, but I'm very quick to maybe correct others on that as well. So who is it that you are when you're sitting at home? Are you someone that says one thing to other people, but then find yourself doing something else? 
Are you someone that has a really hard time managing your time and priorities at home? If so, I just want to talk about maybe two different areas that I think most of us are impacted with here. First thing is technology. What does it look like for us to be really intentional with technology? And this impacts most of us in this room, whether it's with a phone or it's with your TV being on or something. Technology can be something that quickly sucks up all of our time. It can be something that we don't even realize how it's working, but it absorbs our time in ways that, that we aren't always intentional with. Now, if you think about your time spent with technology, I think if you were to uh, maybe chart out what your time looked like, most things that you spend using your, your phone for or uh, the TV, unless you're on your work hours and maybe even then sometimes, probably fit into quadrant three and four, right? They're things that aren't important. Either they seem really urgent or they're not even urgent or important. They're just things you're spending time on maybe a little bit aimlessly. So when we think about time, I want us just to think for a minute about how much time we would gain if we took the time that we aimlessly use social media to actually invest that time in doing something that matters. Now, if you have an iPhone and you maybe want to do this today, I would encourage you to choose not to ignore the screen time reminder that popped on your phone this morning or will be here in a little bit. Actually look at that and look at the amount of time spent on social media. Look at the time spent on games and all this stuff. Whatever it may be, look at that time and think about how am I actually using my time with others? Now, it's not that technology is just this evil thing that, that, that needs to be obliterated, but what we must do is be intentional with the time we spend with technology to actually invest in people around us, to enjoy relationships around us. That is a good gift, but whenever our technology becomes something that, that just absorbs our time and not something we use as a tool, it can become all-consuming. The second thing I want us to think about is food, because oftentimes those things are, are, are food is something that this kind of gets put to the side, but mealtimes are incredibly powerful when we think about them and we think about passing on faith to the next generation or even just passing on faith to other people in our lives. So what kind of ways could we be intentional with times with food? Mealtimes are golden for relationships. But oftentimes, those are things that I would argue probably fit into quadrant two that's important, but they don't seem urgent. And what happens whenever they don't seem urgent is that like mealtime with other people just gets put off. Or we find ourselves sitting down for a meal and we look around and everybody's looking down at a device and not interacting with each other. So when we think about who we are when we sit at home, I was thinking about how do we take advantage of the, those mealtimes to actually invest in each other? What would it look like for us to take those times and, and say, hey, a set number of nights a week, we are going to share a meal together as a family, or I'm going to have some friends over on this set night each week to build relationships over a meal. How can we be intentional with our meal times as we sit home? How can we be intentional with how we use technology? Now, the second thing is when you walk along the road, how can you be intentional with your time along the road? Now, maybe for you, one thing you could begin doing is if you're taking a trip and you have the option, you could bring someone along with you. That, that could be an option. As an introvert that loves my alone time in the car, I'm not a huge fan of that, but it's something that, that may be a way to engage with other people in a meaningful way. What if instead of, of just immediately turning on the radio when someone else is in the car, whether it's your kids or someone else, you decided to start that time off just with a question? 
asking about what's going on in their life, asking how God is at work or sharing what's going on in your life with them. If you are by yourself, what would it look like to, rather than spend that time listening to a podcast or or listening to music, to spend your time in the car praying for the kids you're getting ready to go pick up or praying for the people you're going to meet with that day? What if you chose to use that time in the car to actually reflect on who God is and what God has done in your life so that you are prepared to talk about that with others as the opportunity arises? If it's the time that you have walking along the road, if that's something you do in your neighborhood, what could it look like to notice things going on in your neighborhood and to begin to lift those up to God? If you have a neighbor who seems lonely, lift that up to God and maybe choose to use that time to invest in that neighbor. How can you be intentional with that time along the road? When you lie down, so thinking about bedtime, what does your bedtime routine look like? Parent, what does, parents, what does this look like with your kids? Is it just like a fight to get them down and then hopefully you can move on from there? How could you maybe be intentional to help your kids engage, engage with scripture and, and a Bible story from the youngest age? If you need recommendation on Bibles, I would love to talk about that. Come talk with me. I love that opportunity with kids to invest in them during that time before bed. How could you be intentional to not only pray for your kid, but raise them up to pray as well? Think about friends in their life and just say, hey, name three friends and say a prayer for them tonight. Maybe it's just singing a song before bed, but invite your kids to begin seeing that time as something that can change their life, as something that can shape and form who they are. But for any adult in this room or anyone else, what does your bedtime routine look like? Is it just like a mad rush to maybe get to bed and then you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, great, that was rough, and you just keep moving? How can you be more intentional with your time before bed? What would it look like for you to reflect at the end of the day, just take 10 minutes to think about what what is it that caused me anxiety today? What is it that maybe made me excited today? What is it that I'm still carrying with me right now that I am still angry about? Could you turn those things over to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't want to carry this weight anymore? Could you think about maybe the good things that happened that day and turn that into a prayer of gratitude for the Lord, for the way that he was at work in just the everyday stuff in your life? What would it look like to take advantage of that time to reflect? Maybe for you, it is engaging with scripture before bed. Maybe you could just read a psalm before bed and turn that into your prayer to the Lord. One thing that I have had to do for the last year or so is I like try to put my phone to bed in a different room and put it to bed before I go to bed because if not, I find myself just aimlessly scrolling throughout. What would it look like to put your phone away or not engage with that right before bed? How would that begin to shape and form your heart and your mind in a different way? Another thing that, that I have started to do that, that I still don't know how it's going to work, but if you are a young parent and you read something to your kid before bed, something I've tried to do just to begin to shape and form, change the way I think, is I try to like meditate on the Bible story I read to my kid the night before. So if it's from a, a child or a children's storybook Bible, I'll just take five minutes to think about, okay, how does that maybe impact my life as well? How can I begin talking with my kid about what it is that's going on? But we can all have these different ways where we can engage with God before lying down that can shape and form our hearts and our minds. Now, finally, when you get up, 
Now, this is an area where I've been really convicted as of the last couple of weeks. About a month ago, I was meeting with a friend and I was like, I cannot like get up before my kids get up. And whenever I get up, I'm like a zombie for the first 30 minutes. And that was something that I was really challenged on even this week thinking about. I mean, if you ask my wife what I'm like whenever I like first wake up and like how long it takes me to get a bottle ready for my daughter, it's like 15 minutes to like get it filled in the microwave and get it together. It has been taking me entirely too long. So I was really challenged by that even this week as I thought about this. But I found some stuff from a guy named Justin Whitmill Earley really helpful in thinking about how it is that we wake up. You see, because what I found myself doing is first thing, I would just grab my phone, I would check my email, see what was going on at work, and then I would uh, move on from there, check social media, maybe check what was going on in the news, and I would find my mind running a hundred different directions before I'd even finish my first cup of coffee. And so what ends up happening with that are things like this. Justin Early talks about what it looks like to wake up to reality and how what we do when we first wake up kind of shapes how our day will go. So he says this, he says, when I roll over, grab my phone and begin scanning work emails, I wake up this monster of performance. The story of reality uh, is about what I can get accomplished that day and whether I can justify my existence. Sometimes that's the reality we begin living in. He says, when I begin my morning on social media, I easily wake up the monsters of comparison and envy. The story of reality is about the pictures of other people's lives and whether I can measure up. When I begin the morning with the news headlines, the monster of fear and anger nearly jump through the screen. And what I, the story of reality is this idea that the world is falling apart and how mad I should be at other people who just don't get it. It says, when I lie in bed recounting the day's to-dos or when I jump up and immediately start to rush to get everybody out the door on time, I wake up the monster of busyness. The story of reality is that there is always too much to do and never enough time to do it. See, how we wake up in the morning matters. So I decided this week I needed to do something about that. So I took a couple of early suggestions. I just want to throw those, these out to you as someone who is like beginning stages here, not someone who's mastered this. The first recommendation, recommendation he had is to start the morning just by rolling out of bed and starting on your knees before God and just saying a simple prayer. If there's anxiety going on in your mind, just say, Lord, this thing I'm anxious about, I give this to you. I can't control this today. If it's you know you're going to be short on patience, it can be a prayer to the Lord. Lord, I am really short on patience today. Help me not to snap at my kids or my spouse or the barista today just because I went to bed too late last night. How can you start your day fixing your attention on God first thing in the morning? I talked to another friend this week who memorizes the Shema, and that is his prayer in the morning. Someone else uses the Lord's prayer first thing in the morning to fix their heart and their mind on God. Someone else prays this prayer, God, allow me to see you, to hear you, and to know you today. How can we use that time when we first wake up to fix our attention on God? Now, the second thing is to make it a habit to look at Scripture before you look at your phone. If you engage with scripture on your phone, use do not disturb or airplane mode or something to pre prevent those notifications from grabbing your attention. But start the day by coming before God and seeing what God would have to say to you. There's a Christian author, his name's uh, Kurt um, Thompson, who has looked at how we are actually designed as people to look for someone looking for us. You see this with babies when they're born, right? They're looking around for someone who is looking for them. And we were created for that. 
And the really good news for you and I is that we have a God who is looking down directly at us. And we sometimes just have to pause to look back up and say, okay, Lord, you see me, you know me, you care about me. But engaging with scripture, first thing can be a way for us to recognize that we live in a different way. This intentionality with our time and these things we do every day shapes and forms us, which shapes and forms how we engage with other people in our lives. Now, if you want to think more about what it would look like for you to develop a plan around this, we've got a couple of resources I'd love to point you to. So if you go to cccgo.com forward slash roadmap, we've got this thing called the rule of life there. Click be with God, develop spiritual practices, and then um, take another step from there. You'll have this rule of life thing that is there. This is something that can seem overwhelming, but I want to encourage you to do that with other people, like talk through what that looks like in your life. And I think you'll see that it's something that's really helpful. Or reach out to one of us. We would love to walk through that with you to figure out what that looks like for your life. Now, if you are a parent or a grandparent here, I want to point you to the Family Discipleship Workshop. If you are investing in your kids intentionally, we want to take this opportunity coming up on March 28th and April 4th. That's a Monday, two straight Monday options or April 2nd to walk through a plan to disciple the next generation in your home together. Now, if either one of these options are things that, that sound really attractive, again, we don't want you to do that alone. If you want to reach out, my email is abonderncsco.com. That's not Phil's email. That's not anyone else's email. That's my email. Like, send me an email and let's talk about it. Like, if you just say, Andrew, what you said Sunday sounds like the most ridiculous thing ever, but I do want to be more intentional with time. Let's have that conversation. I'm not someone who's mastered it, but I am trying to learn along with you. I would love to walk that road with you. Let's have a conversation about what that looks like. Now, throughout this series, we've been looking at the fact that if you look at young people growing up in the church, 50% of them walk away after graduation, right? And we've said that that's not something we're okay with. So one of the things we've asked is that we make it a priority as a church to make sure that our kids and youth areas are fully staffed by Easter. In the last two weeks, we've had seven of you that have signed up. So thank you for that. But we still have 88 spots open. And here's what I want to tell you all. If that is a way you want to intentionally invest in the next generation, first thing I'll tell you is that the people serving back there now aren't doing so because they have an abundance of time. It's because they put like priority on that. So that, that's the first piece. But the second piece is that if that is somewhere you serve, we're not asking for you to sign up for life. It's not like a life sentence, like you sign up once and you're never allowed to step away from kids ministry again. We're also not asking you to sign up and serve like 48 hours a week. Like we want to work with you to figure out what it would look like for you. But if that's a way that you want to be intentional with your time to invest in the next generation, we would love for you to come and serve with us. cccgo.com forward slash serve. I don't know that it's everyone in this room that's supposed to serve there, but I think there's probably more of us that are called to that than are currently signed up. So if you have felt like prompted towards that, take that step. Each of us are called to be intentional with our time. So I don't want you to just do this flippantly, but take that step if that's something you think you need to do. Another thing that may be a stretch for some of us in this room to be intentional with our time would be to explore a mission trip opportunity here uh, with Crossroads. Coming up here uh, this year, we've got three trips coming up. The deadline to sign up for those is March 31st. And you can find out more about those by going to cccgo.com forward slash trips. 
figure out what those trips are. There's one to Dearborn, one to Louisville for families, and then one to Kenya. Just look at those and see, is that something that I need to prioritize my time for so that I can see how God is at work beyond my own household or beyond my own neighborhood? Is that a way that I need to engage to learn more about what God is doing and maybe even to build some friendships in areas that I don't normally have? I don't know what it looks like, but I think we're all called to take a step. So regardless of what that step looks like for you, one thing that each of us can do is take five to 10 minutes this week. Maybe it's each day you budget this out and what you do is you say, okay, God, I want to be intentional with my time to pass on faith. Look at your calendar and figure out where it is that you're investing that time. Where is it that that is reflecting a priority on your time? Make sure that your schedule reflects your priorities, not you're just prioritizing whatever is on your schedule. As you begin thinking about what this looks like, it may be that you're taking five to 10 minutes to think about what it looks like to be intentional in the classroom you're in each day. If so, keep doing that. Take that time before the Lord to prepare your heart to go into the classroom, to love the kids in your class well each and every day. For some of you, this, again, goes to a coworker you have that that you are going to be pouring into. And if that's you, then take that five to 10 minutes to plan a way to actually do that, to make sure you are prepared to do that. For some, maybe it is jumping in to serve with us here in kids' ministry. If that's you, do it. Maybe for you, it's walking along a journey with someone else that you've been down before. Maybe you've been through a battle of addiction before and you need to begin engaging with someone who's just starting that journey and you need to begin investing in them. I don't know what it looks like for each of us in here, but I believe we all have a way that we can be more intentional with our time to invest in the next generation. Again, as we've talked about throughout this series, our hope as a church is that we are raising up people, not just kids, but people across the board who not only profess a faith, but people who possess a real faith. The intentionality we have with our time helps drill that deep in people's hearts. Like it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, it really does help impress that on our hearts as we seek to invest in those around us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for being a God who is good, a God who loves us, a God who cares for us. God, right now, as we think about our time, as we think about uh, how it is that we invest our time, God, we want to reflect you and reflect your priorities with that. So would you help us to understand what it looks like to jump in with you on this mission you've called us into? God, would you help us prioritize even just time being with you so we can be the kind of people who invest in the next generation. Thank you so much for your love and your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.